Hey, welcome to TPT's podcast. I'm Dan Friel. On this edition, we'll check in with Jake Hirschman, one of the GMs of Eberline Drive. Eberline Drive is one of the original TPT teams from 2014, and these guys really just have an awesome story. They grew up in the same cul-de-sac outside of Detroit, Michigan, drove all the way to uh, Philadelphia for TPT 2014. I think you're really going to love this one. Remember, if you're on iTunes, hit that little subscribe button at the top. Subscribe to TBT's podcast and leave us a rating and a review. It'll help spread the word. Thanks. Hey, Jake. Yeah. How are you, man? How's it going? Great. Good, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, how have you been? Uh, I've, been, I've been good, you know, trying to get through my last semester of school. Yeah, so you're a senior this year. Yep. Well, that's an amazing transition from 2014 all the way now to being almost done with college. Have you got plans for the upcoming fall? Uh, right now I'm looking to, uh, apply to a few jobs, hopefully be writing somewhere. And then, uh, I'm actually going to be taking the LSAT and hopefully heading to law school. Oh, you're kidding me. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, just something I kind of recently decided, um, you know, my mom's a lawyer and, uh, I've been taking a lot of classes in law this past semester and, uh, just something that's been really interesting to me, hopefully getting into maybe some sports law, um, you know, maybe be an agent or something like that. Now, has the experience with TPT kind of pushed that as something that, you, that you're contemplating doing? Uh, definitely, yeah. Um, obviously, especially from the agent side, you know, past few years, talking to numerous agents, talking to players, negotiating fees, stuff like that, something that's definitely drawn me to that field potentially. Have you had conversations with agents since you started, you know, basically GMing the TPT teams? Yeah, um, I mean... The past couple of years, I mean, I've probably sent out more emails than I would have liked to to agents, um, you know, talking to players. And uh, a few of them got back to me. And I've talked to a few on the phone. Never um, have they really been with bigger players. A lot of them were smaller players where, you know, I would talk to the agents about, um, you know, how we would get them out there, um, why it was good for them to play, the exposure they would get and stuff like that. And, you know, trying to convince them that it was a good idea for these guys to play, Um I don't know if this is surprising or not, but none of the players we've actually gotten have ever been through the agent. They've all been through the actual um, players themselves. But I, I've had a conversations with uh, a good handful of agents throughout this past two and a half years. So it's interesting that the experience then has been a positive one for you enough to the extent that you enjoy the outreach to players, the negotiation that takes place, all that sort of thing that comes with building a team. Yeah, I mean, it's something I've grown much more comfortable with over the past couple of years, you know, talking to players, uh, messaging them, you know, not just um, over the phone or over text, but, you know, also being able to, you know, handle with rejection and knowing that not everyone's always going to get back to you and, you know, kind of balancing, you know, the good with the bad. Let's go through some of your history, uh, Jake, if we can. First of all, the team's name is Eberline Drive, which for those that don't know, why don't you give them the background on how this team came about, the team name, all that stuff? Yeah, so, um, you know, this was early 2014, uh, me, Joey, in Craig and Oster, uh, we grew up on a street called Eberline Drive. Uh, our parents still live there, and I actually still live here. Um, and so we were, you know, just reading some articles on ESPN Grantland, stumbled upon the Zach Lowe article where he wrote about TBT. And I originally had signed up as a fan, and, you know, I texted Joey and Craig and was like, hey, this is a cool thing. We should, you know, start following a team, and, you know, maybe we can uh, go to some of the games. And then as we dug into it a little deeper, we were like, hey, we can actually play in this thing. This says anybody can play. Why don't we try? So, you weren't um, worried about forfeiting your NCAA eligibility? Uh, you know, that, that was tough, but no, <laughs> none of us were really um, on that path. So we were like, hey, why not? We, we jumped in, just us three, 
didn't really know what we were going to do if we were going to have just our friends play and us or you know what and then we decided you know try to go after some guys um who you know had played you know professionally overseas in the nba uh guys who we had watched growing up first year obviously that didn't work out um as much as we would have liked but you know the second year obviously we grew so much and got much more uh talent so just to kind of set the stage i mean you joey and craigan grew up on this little cul-de-sac in fraser michigan which is a suburb of detroit right yep correct yeah we're about uh you know, eight, nine miles north of the city. And it's the Oster's house, I think, that has the basketball hoop that you all used to play on every afternoon or evening and all that kind of stuff, probably annoying yeah. the neighbors, right? Oh, yeah. They they have a whole court in their backyard, two baskets. Um, you know, they put on summer camps every summer where their dad, um, you know, coaches, you know, kids second to like through high school and, you know, will have tournaments and do drills and stuff. And Is this all been, in their backyard? Yeah, this is all in their backyard. And then... um we, you know, I, I can't even count the number of times, you know, we've been playing late into the night and we've had the neighbors call and be like, hey, you guys got to stop. You guys got to get inside. It's <laughs> two in the morning. And the actual logo for the team is is representative of that cul-de-sac with the yeah. three boys. Oh, there. yeah. We we love the logo. I can't explain how awesome that's been. So 2014, you read the article from Zach Lowe. And I guess you said you started off as a fan. And then at some point it kind of dawns on you and I guess the Oasters as well, that this is something that you can actually play in. What was the plan? Um, well, you know, we decided, you know, let's, let's create a team, decided on the name Eberline Drive. We got us three signed up and then we, you know, kind of just started recruiting fans and recruiting players um, in, you know, whatever way we really could because none of us had ever done anything like this. So um, really at first, most of our recruiting in terms of fans and players was through Facebook messaging, um, you know, which limited us a little bit because, you know, not all these players that, you know, you would like to play at Facebook, which is why we kind of, for the first year, went after a lot of lower level guys like who we had watched at, you know, the University of Detroit and stuff like that. Um, you know, Joey, we, we got, I think it was Joey Oster that had been a team manager or something yep. at Detroit Mercy, right? Yeah. So he was a team manager at Detroit. So he actually had connections to a couple of UAD guys, which, you know, we had chase simon on the roster and xavier keeling on the roster um neither of them ended up showing up but you know that connection definitely helped us get those guys on our team and you know even having those guys on the team um on the roster even though it didn't show up allowed us to you know convince a couple of other guys who actually lived in philadelphia nick christian belton jones um that you know hey they can show up and they'll have guys to play with and they ended up signing up on the roster and then those two guys actually ended up showing up to play with us and that was done through the free agent pool on the website, right? Uh, no, actually, Nick and Velton, we I had talked to on Facebook, and then they signed up as free agents, and then we added them on. That's smart. But so, like you said, you had some no shows, and I guess you guys ended up playing a lot more than you probably expected once you actually got to Philadelphia in 2014. Yeah, um, you know, the only people who showed up were Velton and Nick Christian. Nick Christian played at Philadelphia University. Belton Jones played on Robert Morris, was actually on that Robert Morris team that beat Kentucky in the NIT that one year. And, um, you know, so it was them two, me, Cregan, and Joey, and then Aeneas, our one friend who we brought along to be our mascot. Um, you know, just because we didn't have enough guys, ended up suiting up. And, you know, with me going to the hospital at halftime, yeah. we kind of needed them. Well, by the way, you were okay. I think you hit your elbow when it had a... Yeah, my uh, bursa sack burst and my elbow blew to like the size of a grapefruit. Never felt any pain and I didn't even realize it. 
until uh, Luke Wynn pointed it out to me. Yeah, I remember sprinting out after you as you were getting wheeled out on the stretcher, and you had a, it was weird because I looked at your arm. And like you said, it was it had swelled up dramatically, but your face had the biggest smile on it. <laughs> you were like, "I'm yeah. fine, I'm fine," you know. Oh yeah, no, I mean it was it was so fun, and um, I mean it sucked I could only play the half, but even that half, like I mean, me, Joey, and Craig, and we talk about just how much fun it was playing and going up against you know Smush Parker and uh, something you know a year prior to that we didn't even think was something that could be possible. Yeah, and to set that stage again that you got matched up against Big Apple basketball which you know really was one of the best teams in TBT in 2014 I think they made it to the semifinals yep and uh you've got you know Luke Bonner on that team Russell Robinson from uh, Kansas Smush Parker's on that team Lance Goldburn who played at uh, I think Vanderbilt yep uh Corsley Edwards had been like a 15-year pro overseas and and you guys are matched up in this game that you know it wasn't super competitive but you could tell that you guys were having fun and it actually led to a really large profile in Sports Illustrated about Everline Drive. Yeah, and that was the coolest thing that came out of um, our TBT experience in the first year. We knew that Luke was doing something with us. He had called me before the tournament and asked me about what was going on. And then kind of through that weekend, he hung out with us um, even after our loss a little bit. And, you know, we were, I remember a week or two later, myself, Craig and Aeneas are downstairs in my basement playing Mario Kart. And, uh, I got, I got like an update. <laughs> I'm on sorry my... to laugh, man, but that's just like so classically college. So you're in your basement playing Mario Kart with the two Osters. This is after the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, I get like an update on my phone or something like through a tweet that the article came out and, you know, we're pulling up and we're reading it and we're just laughing. We're dying. We run down to the Oster's house and we show Mr. Oster and then Mr. Oster and Mrs. Oster are sending it out to everybody they know and, it was just like the coolest thing that, you know, we never expected. And we go to that Sports Illustrated website and on the front page of the college basketball section is, you know, us. Like, who would have thought? Well, it's a, it was an amazing article. It was, a, it was a great piece that Luke wrote. And he seemed to have a really interesting angle, too, because I think he kind of, in a lot of ways, maybe compared what you guys were going through as a team and the struggles that you had organizing this with, you know, in, in a uh, sense of what we were struggling with as an as an event to gain that credibility. And mm-hmm. it was like, once you got there, you see, well, this is a professional event. This is different. This is something you want to join. And it seems like you guys were already on board with joining up for 2015 before the Sports Illustrated article even came out, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we we absolutely loved the experience even before the Sports Illustrated article. And um, I mean, like I said, we the moment we showed up and we saw how official it was with the giant bracket and you know all the official TBT stuff everywhere, we were like, Oh, well, you know, we haven't even played yet, but we know we want to keep doing this. What was it about it that made you want to keep doing it? it I mean, like I said, the, the fact that us, three friends who, you know, are just random college kids could build a team out of nothing and, you know, go up and play against former NBA players, recruit NBA players to play with us if we wanted. The fact that, you know, there's not many other sporting events out there, if any at all, that allow literally anybody to compete um, in you know, we felt we had the we could generate the following as we have done over the past few years with our, um, you know, our friends and the people who have come to become fans of us. Um, that we could keep this going, and you know, the fact that you know we got there and we saw how you know the TBT logo is everywhere, how official it looked, and you know, the fact that you guys supplied the jerseys and you know got that ESPN um, partnership and you guys gave us a logo and all this stuff was no cost to us. 
like we couldn't have pictured a more perfect situation. So as you start gearing up in the off season of 2014, 2015, thinking about what you were going to do for 15's tournament, at some point you all reached out to Matt Mitchell from Olivet Nazarene, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, in late 2014, you know, November, December, I started reaching out to more and more players and kind of seeing, um, you know, who we could maybe bring in. We had had Von Wafer on the hook the year before, but he had an obligation, I think, in Puerto Rico. And so, you know, we, we had a handful of names that we thought we might be able to get, but we felt a big part, obviously, of TBT is getting the fans and we knew that would be tougher in year two. So I reached out to Matt over Twitter, actually. Um, I think it was only about a couple weeks before, you know, the site actually opened and, you know, we talked over DM for a couple hours that night and, you know, the next day he was like, you know, I- I'm in, you know, we were going to just combine basically the Alvat Nazarene team, the Eberline team, uh, kind of conjoin their fan bases, build with that, and then try to use both of our GMing skills to get the best players we could. Yeah. And Matt, you know, from my experience was a super organized, really a great guy and must have been pretty easy to work with in terms of coordinating how you all were going to both get the votes and the players, because there was a huge intention to have a, a huge jump in 2015 uh, over 14, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's super on top of his stuff. He's absolutely great. You know, I, I consider him basically my co-GM um, because of how much he does in terms of recruiting players and recruiting fans. And I mean, last year in terms of the players we got, it was probably split 50-50 between who he got and who I got. And um, probably same thing with the fan bases. Now, it was really interesting because as you start building this team and as the, I think you guys had a press release come out but for the joint, uh, the joining of the teams and all that stuff. But as you start building this team, you know, you start realizing that, hey, this is a, actually a really legit uh, squad that you all put together. I mean, I know Romaldo Balkman was not able to come, but you had him on the roster. Uh, Tyler Laser, who had won the MVP, I think, of the Bulgarian League in 2015. Yep. Uh, Raleigh Marshall from uh, Oakland. Liam McMorrow, seven foot two from Tennessee Tech. Uh, and then the big one, as you mentioned before, was Vaughn Wafer um, and Tawan Porter for that reason, too. How did you end up getting those guys on the roster? What was the, the, the sell process like? Uh, well, really we thought to get a lot of good players we had to hook one big fish and that happened to be Vaughn um I had spoken with Vaughn in 2014 over Facebook um never got him on the hook like I said he had an obligation in Puerto Rico um earlier in the summer which is when TBT was in 2014 2015 it was pushed back a little bit his season was over in China he didn't go over and play in Puerto Rico and um you know I actually sent him the basketball insider article um, by Alex Kennedy. And when he saw the names that were in this, um, he, he said he wanted in. It was actually kind of funny because uh, it was just one night I woke up and over Facebook after not hearing from Vaughn for like, you know, a week or two, I just had like seven messages, you know, saying, I want this. I see all the players that are in this. I know it's legit. I want to play. How do I sign up? And the next day we had him up on the roster. That's fantastic. So was there any debate um, in terms of positions, uh, playing time, any of that kind of stuff? How were those decisions being made and handled? Um, well, like I said, we, we kind of just went on the fly with a lot of that. Like I said, we got Vaughn and, you know, that allowed us to bring on a ton of other names. Like I said, Tuan Porter played huge for us in the tournament. Um, that was a guy I had a connection with. We watched the Osters and I growing up at Detroit Renaissance. Um you know, Tyler Laser is a close friend with Matt Mitchell. We brought him in um, through that connection. Um, Scott Vandermeer was someone I reached out to and then Matt stayed in close contact with. And he brought Liam on, close friends right there. 
Raul Marshall, another Detroit guy. Um, we were really trying to use that Detroit connection. And like I said, we, we built a really good team. And when we got to TBT the day before, we had a about an hour and a half practice before where we kind of just got to run through a few basic set plays, um, see which guys work together. But I mean, going to the game, it was a lot of just on the fly kind of seeing who worked best together. Um, and, you know, I think that's part of the reason we didn't do so well because, you know, going up against a team like Scotty Legends who, um, you know, I, I listened to their podcast. Well, you know, they, they, they don't practice. Um, they, you could tell they played together a ton and they know where to be on the court, where to go, uh, what each person likes doing, where our team was um, just kind of thrown together. And if there was one thing I regret kind of looking back, it's not practicing more, um, you know, maybe doing some five-on-five stuff as much as we should have because, um, you know, if we would have played a game before the Scotty Legends game, I, I think there's a much higher chance we would have beaten the Scotty Legends. Well, let's let's uh, walk that back for a sec. So the Scotty Legends game was uh, the Sunday, you know, the Saturday game, the first game that you all played, uh, having earned mm-hmm. a first round by. And Con Knipple, 39 years old, I think at the time, went off for 38 points. And it seemed like from as the game went on and then definitely in the press conferences afterwards that there was almost this sense of shock that that was happening. And that these guys that uh, don't look like they ought to be able to compete with guys that are playing in some of the top leagues in the world were able to not only compete but actually win. Was that the sense you got as the game was happening and then afterwards? Yeah, uh, I was actually just rewatching the game this morning just to kind of look back and uh, see how everything went. And, you know, there was probably five or six times in the first half alone that Knupel hit these heavily contested fadeaways over Vaughn. And you see everyone on our bench just throw their hands on their head like, how is this happening? Like, you know, like, while we like, were... He was like a real-life Jimmy Chitwood in a lot yeah, of Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. And, I mean, the, they can obviously shoot the lights out, and they did. And, I mean, that's a big reason they beat us. And, I mean, even after the game in the locker room, the guys just seemed just like, I, I can't believe it. Like, you know, I mean, these guys can play, but, you know, we're more athletic. We're still playing today we should be able to beat these guys but they're just hitting everything and uh i mean at the end of the day like you said they came back and they they beat us what was this what was the scene like in the locker room i mean was there finger pointing was there no argument um, anything like that it was just really really quiet honestly uh we got back and you know von was sitting down and he was like i can't believe we're out after one game and uh, you know, everyone was just kind of just like sulking because, you know, we were the higher seed. We thought we should have won. We thought we had a really good chance to win two games and play on ESPN. But um, yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, do you feel like maybe that was a little bit getting ahead of yourselves that you all were maybe looking ahead to that national TV game against the uh, 2014 champs? I mean, I- I'm sure it was in all of our minds. I don't want to say we looked past Scani because like even before the game, you know, we were we all took the public transit over together. And, you know, Vaughn came down and he said, you know, he had watched the Scotty Legends game before. He knew, you know, which of their players were shooters. You know, he knew they had two athletic guards who could get to the rim. And, you know, I, I think we were, you know, pretty prepared. It was just that we didn't think they'd shoot as hot as they did. And, uh, you know, like I said, after the game, we were just kind of in a state of shock, you know, that they lit us up so much. And, you know, we had Rawl and Laser, you know, they both stepped up and were like, you know, it was great playing with you guys. Thanks for having us. You know, this was much nicer and much more put together than we thought it would be. Um, but, you know, and you it, all, it, and you, I was going to say, you all also had the added bonus of getting that sponsorship from DraftKings uh, for the travel expenses and the uniforms and all that kind of stuff. Can you talk about how it was that, that you won that? Yeah. So, um, you know, 
TBT obviously had the sponsorship connection with DraftKings. They had the contest where over, I believe it was the Eastern Western Conference Finals, two games, um, fans and players could put in um, lineups. And after the two days, whichever lineup had the most fantasy points, their team would win the DraftKings sponsorship, which included travel, um, jerseys, gear, all that stuff. Um, between myself, the Osters, Matt Mitchell, um, and our family members, we probably had 30 to 40 entrants in. And, you know, I still remember the night of just looking at it every 30 seconds, trying to find out if we were going to win. And what happened is my cousin Dylan, uh, Dylan Krieger, actually came in second. First place was won by uh, Z Vicious Z, yeah, the, le- the legendary um, player who never claimed his prize and uh, kind of fell into our laps. And I mean, that DraftKings sponsorship was everything to us. It allowed us to get basically all the players there, um, you know, aside, like I said, from Balkman, who had the um, had the conflict that we already knew about. Um, and without the DraftKings sponsorship, I, I don't know um, who would have came out. I don't know if, you know, Vaughn would have came. I don't know if Liam and, you know, guys like Tawan would have been able to make it out here. So it was absolutely huge for us in terms of um, what DraftKings did for us. So did you base the recruiting of the players upon the hope that you were going to win that sponsorship or did you have a contingency plan in the event that you didn't? Yeah. Well, we, you know, we, we kind of had most of our team together before the sponsorship. Once we won it, um, you know, during that past month where I believe you could add one or two more guys. I don't remember specifically, uh, Matt and I kind of ramped it up and we're like, Hey, let's see if we can get one more guy and be like, Hey, we have all these expenses paid. And that's how we actually brought on Tinsley. Um, Jamal Tinsley, former Pacers point guard, obviously. And, that fell apart literally last second, like the day of our game. Um, he just kind of fell off. But what happened? He, he had been talking to us literally up through it, been really responsive, had posted stuff on Instagram, um, you know, about playing for our team. And he called Matt either the night before or the morning of saying, you know, he hurt his knee or something and wasn't going to be fully healthy. You know, we tried to get him to come out, you know, still to coach. If, us but he said he didn't want to you know show up when he wasn't fully healthy not going to be able to play and you know we, we had a stuff paid for we had all this stuff ready for him to come his room his flight all this but he just kind of you know backed out last second he said it was because of his injury you know we really don't know for sure what it was though uh, either way i mean it still was a great you know a great opportunity great really honestly a great game between you and just as a neutral uh, watching that game between you all and Scotty Legends. And it seems like you all are really well positioned to really improve in 2016 as well, right? Yeah. Um, like I said, Matt and I and the Osters have already started looking towards next season, what we want to do um, in terms of, you know, getting fans, getting players who we want to bring back, who we want to, you know, look to bring in. Um, it's a process that's ongoing. We don't want to, you know, let anything um be officially announced yet in terms of what we're doing, but we're, we're definitely working towards next year already. What are some of the things that you all have done in the past to get the fans to vote for you? It seems like there's a lot of one-to-one outreach. I know last year, DJ Oster, the youngest of the Oster brothers, I think, yep, uh, went to his high school and almost got in trouble, I think, with his principal for you know getting people to vote and stuff online during school hours and stuff like that. But is it that one-to-one outreach that seems to be effective for you all? Yeah, I, I think that's been most effective for us. You know, the the first year and even last year a lot of the fan recruitment we did was through facebook in terms of myself matt 
um, Joey, Craig, and Deej reaching out to people individually, sending out messages, um, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that. Um, and we get a lot of response from that, obviously. Um, and Deej was huge, obviously, last year. The fact that we all have, you know, such big families, specifically the Osters and I, there's six of the Osters. There's four of my family in terms of just siblings alone, not even counting my parents. So we have huge families that we could draw from and, you know, all of their friends like to sign up and, you know, we, we use that and, you know, the fact that we have our Everline Drive shirts, our Everline Drive socks, our DraftKings socks, these, th- this gear that people love, you know, uh, on Twitter and Facebook, we love doing giveaways and trying to keep people involved in our team, even throughout the off season. I do this daily thing on Twitter, this obscure bet of the day where I put something like, Hey, uh, if Andre Drummond gets 30 rebounds tonight, um, somebody who retweets his tweet gets a free pair of socks. And I've been doing that for a year and a half now. And it's just something that I think is a good way to keep your fans involved. And I think that's super important because, you know, TBT only being played in the summer, if you just kind of drop off the map for seven months, what's to keep your fans coming back? So that's really smart. So actually, you're taking it from the approach of you're building a brand here. You need to keep up communication over the course of the months where you're not playing or not voting. And that way it's probably easier to communicate with people down the line. Yeah. It it keeps your brand in, you know, in people's minds, you know, every day if they're scrolling through, even if they're not retweeting it, they're seeing, Oh, Hey, there's Eberline drive doing another giveaway. They're, you know, gonna let people, you know, wear their stuff. You know, we, we love seeing tweets, you know, people when, you know, they win something and I send them and they tweet back and they're like, Thanks for the dope socks, Everline Driver. Thanks for the shirt, and and I, I love seeing that. Um, literally, nothing makes me happier when you know I see somebody on Twitter wearing our stuff or tweeting about our stuff, or even you know when we were in Philadelphia, the first fan, like actual fan, I remember us ever getting was when Mitch Graham, this guy on Twitter, a kid around our age, bought our shirt in Philadelphia. We were like, that's our first pure fan that we don't even so know. So was it some random kid in Philly that bought the shirt? Yeah, you know, we we still talk to him on Twitter, and on Twitter, his location is still Eberline Drive. Uh, so it's something that we just, we, we absolutely love stuff like that. Has the dynamic of the pitch changed at all for you guys when it comes to players as it gets more difficult to actually get into TBT? Because you guys uh, have been through the process now twice, like you know what it takes to get the votes and, and how the yeah, process works. I mean, does that pitch change? Uh, I mean, I don't think it's changed too much. You know, we're... You know, we, we go to them, we tell them, you know, these are the guys you're going to be playing with. This is what's at stake, you know, the exposure, the money, um, you know, what we're willing to offer. Um, you know, we assure them that for the most part, um, you know, we can handle, you know, recruiting fans. And, you know, if they want to help, that's awesome. But we don't want to put any more of a burden on them because we want to make them signing up and playing for us as easy as possible. Interesting. A lot of teams would say that they want the players to be involved in the recruiting process. What you're saying is you want to try to make it easy and then you have, I assume, more leverage with them. Yeah. You know, we want to bring them on. We are always welcome to them um, helping us with recruiting. And Scott Vandermeer was one of our players last year who was really good about, you know, tweeting out our link and trying to get people to sign up. But we don't necessarily make that a priority in terms of the players we're bringing on because, you know, with myself, with Matt, with Craig and with Joey, we have such a strong base of fans that we've built over the past couple of years. And we have so many people that we can reach out to, to help us with fans um, that we feel pretty secure in terms of, you know, if our players just want to show up and play, we're okay with that. What are you guys going to do in terms of fundraising this year? Have you thought about that yet in the event that there's not a sponsorship available? 
Yeah, um, you know, we, we've talked about that a little bit. We're not we're not totally sure what we're going to do. We'd love to land another sponsorship, of course. Obviously, um, like I said, the DraftKings sponsorship was everything for us last year in terms of getting everybody out there. So if we don't land another sponsorship, which would be our our number one goal, um, I'm sure we would do some sort of fundraising, be it a GoFundMe or something like that. Like I know Liam talked about that on the last podcast with the Bracket Busters, how they did a little GoFundMe and actually raised over $1,000. So I think that's something that would definitely be in play, but we're not positive yet. Um, still looking at a number of options. We, we've still got a little bit of time. Yeah, that's true. Uh, speaking of a little bit of time, you only have a little bit of time left to take the LSAT. Have you started actually taking a class yet, or how far down the road are you on that? Uh, I've got plenty of study material. Um, started digging into that right after the new year. You know, ordered some books, printed out some stuff offline. Um, I'll be taking it in June, so still got you know five months or so. But um, you know, it's going to come up fast, so I've definitely started cracking down. <laughs> The only advice I have about law school is save your money, minimize oh, I your cost, don't, do, don't take out those loans because you'll be paying my, for my, them. My, uh, my plan is to go somewhere around here and live at home so I can save money. Yeah, and go to school someplace where you want to live. Yeah, I, I hear you 100%. <laughs> All right. Jake, thanks again for your time. We'll touch base again in the spring, I'm sure. Sounds good. All right. 